Oh, gee. Hold the phone. Oh, this is an unscheduled surprise. It's him. On um, this young man has had a very trying rookie season. What with the litigation, the notoriety, his subsequent deportation to Canada, and that country's refusal to accept him. If you're a man, you don't cry about it. If you're a real man, you never go down, you just stay up. It's the toughest show in the league podcast. Oh, it's on Eddie Shore. Old time hockey? This on old time hockey. You're ruining it. And from mile 40, Saskatchewan, where he now runs a donut shop. Nowhere in my contract does it say I gotta make a fool out of myself, am I right? Because when I yank it out, everybody in that audience, with the exception of my wife, is gonna be running for the exits. Our lines are open. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Welcome in, toughest show in the league podcast. Rap, Losey, and Korak, week four of the program. Obviously, the Blues uh, have turned things around quite a bit since the uh, last time we spoke. And uh, some big news for Doug Armstrong, GM of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Mr. Reed Lowe, how are you, sir? How are things in your neck of the woods? Uh, things are pretty good. Here we're going to get some snow this weekend, so that's good as well. Uh, NHL.com beat writer since uh, 1997. Uh, Mr. Can we eliminate that? <laughs> no, because you hate it so much. Every we have time to keep he drops doing that it. on you. Every oh. time, that's like your thing. It's like I played the NHL. You started working in the beat yeah. world in 1997. There you yeah, go. Man, I will just... remind you. I was 12, so that's good for uh, good for me. <laughs> but Lou Korak, you're off the show, rap. There, there you out. go. Well, hey, some I, I need a break. Lou, how are you? How are things going? I just saw you last night. Uh, we were watching. Yeah. The St. Louis Blues take on the Arizona Coyotes. Quite a game. How are you, sir? How are things? How's the soccer team doing? How is everything? Uh, everything's good. We're, uh, yeah, a little too close for comfort last night. But uh, I'll tell you what, the funnest part for me was watching uh, Chief just chew on some ears last night about halfway through that first period. I mean, I think I think he was at the point where he was going to start chewing heads. <laughs> Man, you should have seen how animated he was. I mean, I think the shots were what eleven to one, and the only reason they were down one nothing was because I call him Mister Velcro now, Jordan Bennington, because everything just sticks to him. I mean, he kept them in the game, and uh, they were able to turn it around. But yeah, at the end, a little too close for comfort. But I guess two points is two points, and that's all that matters. Losey has seen that look from Chief just. Uh... Right before they're going to fight, right? You've seen that look on his face before, but never as a player yeah. on the uh, team. Never with him as a coach, only with him as a player, right, Lozy? Yeah, no, no. And I was uh, at the game, too, last night. I was in one of the boxes, and I was behind the player's bench, so I couldn't see the, the animated actions that uh, that he was doing. But I can only imagine, because I was doing it in the box, going, what in the hell is going on here? Um, obviously, it's nice to see um, Binner play like that and hold your team in, and that's when you're an all-star goaltender and Stanley Cup champion goaltender, that's something you've proved before, and he continues to do it. And I, you know, I go back to a lot of people with questions last year um, in the in the little lockdown playoff deal they had. Um, but you got to remember, you know, this guy had a pretty good season leading up to that as well. And uh, I think he's just back in, and he's just the guy he is. And I'll tell you one thing: one thing I love about him is is how good he is at 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 reading where that rebound is going um he is so good on a rebound um typically doesn't give them up but when he does he's so attentive to where that puck is where it's going 
and making that save. Uh, I, I don't know how many times last night <clears throat> I watched him make that uh, make that initial save, and then um, the Blues defense didn't play uh, p- clear the puck out from the front of the net, and he makes that second save. And you know that's huge. And not only is that huge, but it's very difficult for a goaltender um, to take pucks and have them drop in front of them, and then to be able to kind of look around them and and try and find them. And and he's a he's a catalyst at it. He's one of the best out there. And, I thought he played real well again last night. To give some perspective as to what the boys are talking about with Pennington last night, Lou, you talked about the 11 to 1 shot total to start the game. In that first period, for instance, or for example, they also gave up five high danger chances in that first period, all in that same 11 to 1 start to the game there. Uh, so Bennington, uh, as we saw uh, so many times in that 2019 run, keeps them in a game early and allows them. Uh, to make a run after he holds them in. Uh, game seven in Boston comes to mind, obviously. A couple of those Winnipeg games where he just made a ton of stops early in hockey games and then allowed his team to find their groove as they went on. Lou, or, uh, Lou you talked about uh, Chief um, <laughs> chewing the guys out. I was on the Zoom last night, and I couldn't tell if I just had a bad connection or did that did that Zoom abruptly end last night? I, it, it, the screen went black for me, and when it came back, the seat was empty. And the the Zoom meeting ended. Was that an abrupt? Was there a miscommunication there? Or was there a tech situation on my end? Listen, um, since these Zooms have started, uh, and as they've gone along here, we've almost got a timer on Chief now. And the overrun <laughs> seems to be four minutes. Right. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like the guy is... The guy's either got a clock in his head or or he's got an hourglass. Somebody just flips one over right there in front of him or or, he, or somebody just starts a counter for him like, here's your four or five minutes, Chief. And, uh, and I'm telling you what, you know what else he's really good at? You better have a question prepared for him because if he senses that pause between questions – that's his cue to say, all right, guys, that's it, and I'm out. You know? Yeah, so that's the line. He's really, no, we got him. Yeah, we got him for about four minutes after the game last night. But I'm telling you, he just he picks his spots now, and he's learned this really well, and, and he's good at it, and, and he goes. And, like, I forget who it was. Somebody was getting ready to ask him another question, and uh, forget it. He's gone. Yeah, I think it was Tom. I think it was Tom. It started, yeah, yeah, it might have been. It might have been double T, and uh, and all we can kind of do is laugh now. It's just like it, it's unbelievable how he's he's right he's right in that four or five minute range, and and it's like clockwork each and every time. Yeah, when he gives the up, oh, okay, boys, yep, all right. You know, it's it's like when you're trying to get off the phone with your grandma. Only we're the grandma, and he's the, <laughs> he's the grandson. Right. He's got better things to do, like coach a uh, hockey team. You can tell. I love the guys. Like Chief, that uh, I don't mind that they keep it short because when they give you an answer, you, you get exactly what you need. He he doesn't beat around the bush. He's not afraid to give you a soundbite, whether you know it's him not saying anything at all or him saying a lot. It's it's interesting stuff when Chief talks. Lozy, when you looked at that game last night, uh, I'm gonna I know what we're gonna get from Lou when we talk about this guy because uh, he had uh, much admiration for him last week. But when you're watching the beginning of that game, and and you said yourself, you're sitting in that box wondering what the what the hell is going on here? Where is this team's attitude? And then Braden Shen lays somebody out in the corner, and uh, it seemed as if uh, that's when the game changed, didn't it? 
That's uh, we we all said that's a hit. Um, and he actually at the end of that shift, the puck had come back down in the blue zone, and he had another hit that he knocked another guy down at the blue line there too. So he had two big hits, and and that's just what you're going to get from a guy like Braden Shen. He's uh. He's just a guy that goes out there and lays it on the line every single night. And you're going to get the same effort from him. Um, you're going to get the same tenacity, um, work ethic, battle for pucks. He doesn't lose battles. Um, he finishes off his checks in a game where these guys are almost instructed not to finish off their checks anymore because they want them more in the play and they want more flow. And so it's, hey, finish your check off if you can, but don't worry about it. But he knows he knows timing. Um, he knows when to get in a fight. He knows when to knock somebody on their ass. Um, he knows when to score a big goal and, and get in front of the net and get dirty. He's a he's a guy, and, and, and we've talked highly of him on this on our program for four weeks now. <laughs> and uh, he's just a guy that that you love to have on your team and you hate to play against. And uh, he's not dirty. Um, he's just a hard nosed player. And guys like that, when they're hard nosed players like that. And their work ethic is as good as their skill level. That's what superstars are made of. Lou, you saw this coming with Shen. You said as much last week on the show. Uh, we know you're impressed by his game, but how impressed are you with his ability to make the guys around him better, i.e. Jordan Cairo? My opinion, uh, Jordan Cairo is not so much being propped up, obviously, by the guys he's playing with, but how much easier does he have it playing with a guy like Shen, obviously, but also playing with a guy like Schwartz, who Shen has such great chemistry with. I'm telling you, it's... Jaden Schwartz was kind of the guy that you looked upon initially, kind of in that role, but man, has Braden Shen really embraced it. And not only that, but I mean, he adds the the skill to it. And it's funny, because we were talking to him the other night after the game, and it was Jim Thomas that jokingly just kind of made the kind of a question reference to him. It's like, hey, you know, we're giving Jordan Cairo all the accolades. How come we're not uh, singing your praises? And uh, Schenner just had kind of one of those uh, smirks where he was like, you don't have to sing my praises. And uh, I'm telling you, this guy, this guy's team first tried and true because, listen, he was he had a seven-game point streak coming into that game last night, and he didn't get a point. And that I could give a rat's ass about it because I'm telling you, just what he did and going out and kind of setting the tone there after you had just a poor, poor first 10 minutes of that game, that literally, you know, like Reed said, it set the tone for, for the rest of that game and for what they were going to do. And to me, that's more impressive than going out there and getting two goals and two assists. And mind you, if he does something like that, chances are St. Louis Blues are going to win a hockey game. But when he's going out there and doing things like that, knowing that, hey, somebody's got to do something here. Craig Berube even mentioned it after the game last night, you know, even said Shen went out there and hit somebody. Kyle Clifford followed up and did the same thing. And when these guys are doing these things and they can sense that this is the pick-me-up that we need in order to get things turned around. And, of course, like I mentioned earlier, Chief was just ready to bite some heads off last night, and he did. After, after that, if you guys remembered, the Arizona Coyotes didn't have a shot on goal the rest of the first period. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, the shots on goal at one point were 11-1, to 1 and the period finished 13-11 to 11 in favor of the Blues. Well, what does that tell you? You know, And, and I know just shots on goal, or it, it's kind of a minuscule stat here and there, but that just kind of gives you a, an indication of where the rest of that period went and how things turned around. And by Braden Shen doing what he did, it literally – 
everybody else on that bench was like, hey, there's our pick me up. And look who it was. It was one of our, it was one of our veterans. It was one of our leaders. It's one of the guys wearing the A's on his on his sweater. It's the guy that doesn't give a damn about the name on his back. He's playing for the for the emblem on the front. And that's what Braden Shen has been able to do. And I know I I could have sat here and wrote a book about him last week talking <laughs> about him, but uh, it's hard not to talk about him when this guy is going out and doing the things that he's doing for this hockey club right now. And you know where he, he why he has that that great attitude and, and where that attitude came from, why that happened, he's, right, Lozy? He's from Saskatchewan. Yeah, from Saskatchewan, go. not surprised at all. <laughs> not surprised. Not surprised. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about a little. I want to talk a little bit about Vince Dunn as we move forward here in the program. Given uh, he's become a little bit of a lightning rod uh, over the early part of this season. Gets uh, gets the benching, gets the healthy scratch, and then ever since has come back with a bit of a vengeance. Uh, some are saying the key to Vince Dunn is not overexposing Vince Dunn. Lozy, we'll start with you. Do you agree that uh, Vince Dunn is better in smaller doses than larger doses? Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, is he better as a 9- to 12-minute guy than he is a 12- to 15-minute-a-night guy? We've seen this with players in the past where uh, they're much more effective uh, when given you know less ice time, as crazy as that sounds, but uh, when you've got the four defensemen at the top of the lineup that you do, is it better to take the pressure off Vince Dunn and maybe play him a little less and, and just kind of beef up his minutes with power play time when you get it? Yeah, I think that uh, you know that's a that can be that can play into a rule of thumb when you're talking about a guy that's slotted in a five six def- defenseman. Um, position. Uh, the only question I have is I don't think he slots himself in that position, which comes around again when you look at um, the ice time that he's getting and some of the nonchalant um, games that he played and has played so far this year. I thought he's been, like you said, a little bit better um, since they tried to set a tone with him. But um, I, at the same time, if Doug Armstrong's truly tried to move, trying to move him and, and he wants to get a first-round draft pick in return, playing him nine or 10 minutes a night is not going to get that done. They're going to have to showcase him a little bit and they're going to have to cut somebody else's ice time out because they're going to have to give him an opportunity to show what he can do. Because if someone's given a first round draft pick, somebody else is bringing that guy in to be a top three defenseman on their team. I don't know if he's that good. I'll tell you what I do know. And the only way I know it is because I can just watch a guy play. I can also listen fairly well. I know that's hard to believe. Most people <laughs> think that I've got two mouths in one ear, but I don't. Uh, I've been working on my listening skills and I just listen to guys around the league. I listen to uh, some of the media guys that I've talked to about him and he doesn't really have a, I don't really feel like he has a true kind of, I'm not going to say love for the game because I don't think you make the NHL without having a love for the game, but um, I just don't know if he really gets it. I don't really feel like some of these guys that come into national hockey league these days and make the money that they're making um, even though I would say, you know, 1.8 is probably somewhere in the bargain land for what his potential is, in my opinion. Um, but I just don't feel like he's committed to the game like he needs to be if he wants to be a top tier defenseman. And it's not something that's just going to get handed to you. And I think sometimes um, these guys that are like him that have kind of been top echelon players their whole life and they get to this level and they find themselves not understanding what it takes to be a true champion at this game and to be a true leader of a club. He doesn't play like Braden Shin. He doesn't leave it on the ice every single shift, every single game. He, he, he doesn't show me, and I shouldn't say he doesn't feel because I don't know his feelings, and that's not fair to say. 
that he doesn't show me when I watch him play hockey that he wants it more than anybody else. I just don't. And, I, and I'm a little bit dumbfounded by his uh, body language, by his expressions, by his almost lack of emotion. Some guys are good like that. Some guys can play. This guy's going to be a National Hockey League player. He's going to be a good player. You obviously seen what he could do last year. And uh, he's, he's just that good of a guy, you know? Yeah, and I just think that we, I, I got somebody knocking on my door. Sorry. Um, but I, I really feel like he is in a situation where he really needs to step up his mental game if he wants it to be equal with what his potential is on the physical aspect of the ice. Uh, Lou, you and I were talking before we went on air today uh, about Vince Dunn, and we kind of both uh, hit on the head. He's got a knack for making the big play. But he's also got a knack for sometimes not finishing a play completely. And and we kind of picked up on something on that first Arizona goal last night. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think Vince Dunn's a good hockey player, no doubt about it. And But if you watched that first goal last night, um, there were two plays that I thought that could have been made that could have prevented it, obviously. And, you know, if Robert Thomas is able to get a clean stick on on the zone entry – None of that ever happens, but I just thought that, um, you know, maybe perhaps Vince Dunn could have put up a little bit more resistance with Christian Dvorak there on uh, just gaining the access and the space in that tight spot there in front of the net in the blue paint and in the in the slot. And I just thought that maybe he gave him a little bit too much easy, too much ice there. And, uh, you know, boom, the puck's in the back of the net. But in saying that, I thought he had a really good rest of the game. He made good sound decisions. And when, listen, he's an offensive defenseman. When this guy gets involved on the other end, it makes uh, it makes this team a lot better. And, you know, he's good at reading when to make those pinches in the offensive zone, and he was able to do that. And Jaden Schwartz finds him with a I – th- I thought it was a terrific pass because there wasn't a, a ton of ice there. It's, it's, it's just like a little scene that, you know – it's probably a low percentage play to make because, you know, somebody gets a stick in there, gets broken up, but that's, that's the thing that these defensemen and forwards have is they trust each other. And Justin Falk said it after the game, they trust the forwards for these guys to be able to make those good reads and, and pinches from the defenseman. And I thought Vince Dunn had a good read on that play and was able to score a goal. I think he's, I think he took his healthy scratch well or as well as can be maybe under his breath listen nobody likes to get benched I'm sorry who does nobody does and um but I think he's come back the last three games that he's been in there and he's done what they've asked and I thought he's 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 done a good job with Nico Mikola they've kind of complimented each other they're still reading each other out and Rappi even said it you know Mikola is on the other on the other end he got caught out of position on that first goal where it all kind of started there but you know he, he's he's a risk reward kind of a player. That's just how he is. And uh, but I think what the coaching staff wants him to do is just instead of being such a risk taker, be a little bit. I don't want to say conservative, but just make the smart play. That's all they're looking. Smart, simple plays. If he makes smart, simple plays, I think the rewards instead of calling him a risk reward player, the rewards will come more often than if he's a risk reward type of a player. I agree. Lots of blame to go around on that first Arizona goal. And the problem on that play with Dunn is you feel like he's right there with Dvorak. You know, you got to make that play, right? You got to bail out your goalie who's been bailing you out all night. 
Uh, you got to be there for him. You know, you got to get a stick in a lane there. You got to move Dvorak off that line uh, to maybe where he doesn't get to that puck. You know, you, you got to play a little bit more heads up. I agree there. Losey mentioned the I, Doug Armstrong shopping him and, and the first round pick attached to him. Number one, do we really think that the Blues, uh, you know, since they are in that window to try to win a Stanley Cup, are better off trading Vince Dunn, even if there is a first round pick and play, because I'm going to raise my hand and hit right here and say I, I, I'm going to go the other way with that. Uh, I think with what he's making this year, and he still retains his, his restricted free agent status at the end of the year, you still have control over him. I, I think he's just as easy to move in the offseason. Why not let him try to help you win a cup this year? I think you found the groove for him now, and I think, Losey, I think you, you, you keep him on that third pair, and you almost treat that third pair with Dunn the way you treated the fourth line. We call it the quote-unquote fourth line, but that that line then when Steen went down to play with Barbashev and Sunquist, and you say, hey, we, we need you to help this team out by shutting down the other team's third and fourth lines. I guess if, if they want it, you know, first of all, I just want to take a little tidbit of the goal last night that you guys were discussing. You know, um, you guys were talking about the one where um, Dvorak was going to the net and made a nice tip. You know, he's right there. I watched the replay. He doesn't even – this is the one thing that I think defensemen in general so much – and, again, it's there's so much body contact out there and there's so much body in the way and whatever. All he has to do is lift the stick, and that puck goes right into the corner, and, and he doesn't get it. It's not about body position there. It's not about coming down on a stick. It's getting his stick off the ice, and there's a lot of times – you know, and it's hard. It's a hard, hard play. Don't get me wrong. I couldn't do it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not being hypocritical here. Like I, I made more mistakes than he did. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying. Listen, if you want to be an upper echelon defenseman and you want to help your team win the Stanley Cup, that goal can't get scored to playoffs. That cannot be a goal in the playoffs. And so, for me, right, I really feel like I'd like to see the Blues bolster up their draft picks. And for me. First round draft picks, they're good. Maybe top five, top 10 picks can be actually, for me, six to 12 are probably the worst picks ever because they're guys that are more touted and they don't really know what's going to translate to the next level. I, I would be, if I was Doug Armstrong, I'd be out there looking for a second and a third or a third and a second and a fourth or something like that and and try and stockpile some draft picks and, 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 and allow some other guys to have some opportunity. And as far as ice time goes, you know, typically the fourth line is going to play with the, the first set of defensemen. That's going to be their minutes. They're going to play against one or two, and then they're going to play fourth line. Um, that third defense pairing is going to spend a lot of their time against a second and a third line, probably a third line more often. That's kind of the, the, the pace that goes on from a defensive standpoint. But I know that, like, you know, when I was on the ice <laughs> back in the day, Al McKinnis or Chris Pronger was always on the ice, right? And they were on, they seemed to be on the ice half the <laughs> game anyways. So it was like, uh, somebody just go with one of those two guys. I think that's what Jimmy Roberts used to say. Prongs is up and I don't know, pick your defense partner this shift. I don't really care who goes with this kind of thing, right? <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, that third defense pairing is going to probably play less against the fourth line than they will a second and a third. Not saying that they won't get some time against it, but that's an opportunity for a coach to get his top pairing out against a weaker forwards and maybe have an opportunity to, to have some offensive ability and, and maybe do some things. So I, I think they've got to play them, play them more. If they're really looking to trade them, you're not going to, you're not going to show much or prove much um, in, uh, in giving him eight, nine, 10, 12 minutes a game. He's got to, he's got to have an opportunity to play the game if, the, if there is a trade. And I, I personally, for me, I, 
if a guy is emotionless and I really feel like he doesn't show the emotion that it takes to, for me to, you know, I, I just, and again, the little plays, little, little shifts off that cost the team an important goal at that time. Like that was a big goal for Phoenix at that time. And, and that's just something that you got to have. You can't allow that to happen. Reed, can I, can I put you on the spot for one second? Just, yeah. Are you done with, are you, no pun intended. Are you done with Vince Dunn? <laughs> you know, um, I just think if you can get a second round, second, like a second and an extra pick for him, that's good return. Like in my opinion, the second and third round are as important draft pick wise as the middle of the first round. I just, you find a lot of guys in those rounds that end up becoming good players. And I just think that I don't think Doug should be hard up to, to try and get a first round draft pick. I think, or I think that if he can get a second and a fifth, that that's more than enough compensation for this guy. And again, I, like I said, I look at the little things. Is he a good hockey player? Can he skate? Can he shoot? You know, does he have like that unbelievable talent? Yeah, but I don't feel like his mental ability, his mental game is where it should be. And I, I said this about Tarasenko five years ago. Everybody called me an idiot until two years later, they started talking about it. I'm like, wait a guy, I've been talking about this for two years, guy. How come I'm not an idiot anymore? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, wait a second. I still was to Bernie. But at the end of the day, um, that's just kind of where it has to be for me. Like, when you get to the National Hockey League, mentally, it's 90% of the game. Everybody can skate. Everybody can pass. Everybody can play. Um, what's your compete? I just don't see him competing. When you talk about Vince Dunn, a lot of people uh, like to say he's he's propped up by uh, what they call you know uh, fancy stats, advanced analytics, advanced metrics, uh, defensive point share, things like that. Uh, it sounds like Losey Vince Dunn just kind of doesn't pass the eye test to you, right? Is that what I'm I'm picking up from you? Because uh, the analytics on Vince Dunn uh, speak volumes, and and I think the other part of this that's that's underrated and not talked about enough is the history that Vince Dunn has with Craig Berube from their time in uh, Chicago together at the with the Chicago Wolves. You know, Berube's the coach when Dunn beats the guy up in the hallway. I think those are the kind of moments that that really stick out to a guy like. Uh, Craig Berube and uh, are we you know I'll ask I'll ask uh, Lozy you this first and and Lou this second are we underestimating the relationship that that Berube has with Dunn because it seems there was some emotion there the other night when the question was asked with with uh, to Berube in regards to Vince Dunn and and saying how much he he likes Vince Dunn but uh, Lozy is is this a situation where he just kind of doesn't pass the eye test for you uh, well first off there's really like he's been around for a few years. Eye test for me is like it's a first ten games, you know. Like I, I've got an eye test out on Krug right now, you know. When it comes to Dunn, again, he's had moments where I'm like, man, can we get him like that every single shift? But we don't, and that's the part for me that if he wants to be an NHL regular, and I'm telling you right now, I don't know how old he is off the cup, but it's got to be somewhere in his mid twenties ish, right? mid to late 20s, maybe 26, something like that. I don't know exactly what his age is, but you start getting a little bit older in the game and you don't start to recognize that that kind of play isn't happening. They've got There's so many kids coming up underneath you that want to play. It is so hard to stick around in a National Hockey League, and it's a mental game, and he does not commit himself to mentally playing the game right for 60 minutes. And when you're a coach on the ice or on the bench and, and during practice and in the war room and in the dressing room, telling every single one of your players that they have to have that commitment if you're going to win the Stanley Cup and you've got a guy that's not doing it, 
it just and and you keep putting them back out there and putting them back out there and putting them back out there and giving them power play and everything else. For me, it just kind of defeats the whole thing because other guys are going to be like, oh, well, you know, he doesn't, you know, I don't know. I, he can take a shift off. I can take a shift off. And that's the exact opposite of what their core leadership group is. Shen, O'Reilly, uh, Swartz, you know, these guys are guys that are absolute workhorses out there and they don't stop. And you know what? Look at uh, look at uh, Justin Falk now too this year. Same type of thing, man. Extra effort, extra foot speed. Like he's putting that in where he was a little bit gun shy last year. Listen, I'm not saying that I'm not writing him off. I don't think he's the worst hockey player ever. I'm just saying if you want, this guy should be a top two, three. He should be a three, four defenseman for sure in the, in the NHL in my opinion. And I, he's not that good right now. And there's no way they're going to get a first rounder. And I doubt they'd even get a second rounder right now. Obviously, they don't have people banging down their door. Oh, I disagree. 24 years old for Vince Dunn. Lou is a uh, two-parter two for you. Is Vince Dunn propped up by the advanced analytics, in your opinion? And do we underestimate uh, the relationship that Dunn and Berube have? I don't know if it's propped up, but um, I think like I think there were some examples used last night where you know, he had this outrageously high Corsi rating last night. And um, I think a lot of that has to do with who he's been on the ice with. And some of these guys are, and I, listen, I'm not saying that who he's on the ice with, some of these guys that are so good and reliable are propping him up on a pedestal. I don't think that's happening at all because like Reed said, you know, there are some shifts where you watch him and you're just like, yeah, can we have this? on a consistent basis. But that's that's the word that jumps out at me is, to me, he's just, the consistency has been an issue for me. And if you can even get, I don't, I don't even know if average consistency makes sense, but you know what I'm saying. Right. What I'm saying, if you can just get some consistency on an average level, I think this is something that the Blues can live with. And as far as your other question about Craig Berube, I get the sense that he really likes him a lot. Yeah. And just, just by listening to that the other day, it was almost, I don't want to say that he was offended that we were asking him the kinds of questions that he was getting in regards to, you know, is he just not good enough or not consistent enough or not playing well enough? And that's our job to do. And we're going to continue to do that. But I could just get the sense that Baruby really likes this kid. He wants him to succeed. He wants him to do well, and he wants him to do well here. But that's going to be up to him because if if he just has these games, and I I wrote about it last night. I I, I thought he took the healthy scratch well. Um, he put his he put his head down, put his best feet moving forward, and that's what he has to do. But it's only three games. You can't just have this where you're going to get some good out of him for three games and then he's going to take another dip and he's going to play okay for a couple of games. And then he's going to play really good for a couple of games. Oh, and then he's going to cost you a game or two, or he's going to take another dip. That's the stuff that you really have to kind of avoid with Vince Dunn. If you can start to avoid that, you know, now you have a good problem to have because now you have a plethora of defensemen and now you have, uh, you're going to have other people knocking on your door because they're not just going to be asking about him. They're going to be asking about some of your other guys. And now Doug Armstrong can come up with a good poker hand here. On the other hand, when they think that, you know, you're just trying to offset one guy, like Reed said, you're not going to, you're not going to get a first round pick. You might not even get a second round pick for him. So you're kind of at the mercy of everybody else. And with the expansion draft coming up, 
that's something else that's going to have to play into effect here. So a, a lot's going to go into how this kid plays this year because that's going to that's really going to ultimately help Doug Armstrong make the decision moving forward because something's going to have to give with uh, Seattle knocking on the door and looking to take somebody off of your roster. Vince Dunn, uh, obviously uh, joining the long line of Blues defensemen that have become a lightning rod with the fan base, uh, joining the likes of guys like Eric Brewer and uh, mm. the first few years of Jay Bomeister before the fans uh, stopped being morons and realized how great that guy was. Um, that's the one thing that I think is such a tragedy about Jay Bomeister, his time in St. Louis, is the fans didn't even realize how awesome this guy was until about five seconds before he left on that 19 run when, you know, I, I just hated the way the fans got on that guy. But it seems Vince Dunn might be that guy going forward. He's, uh, he's a polarizing player because... You know, some guys love his game and love the way he plays. I'm, I'm one of them. I've always been a Vince Dunn guy, and, and some people just, they don't see it. So uh, it's a fun one to talk about. That'll do it for the first segment. It's the toughest show in the league podcast. Korak, Lozy, and Rap. We'll be back right after this. After the Arizona Coyotes had blocked four or five shots like that, putting their bodies on the line, this is just a phenomenal effort there by Justin Falk. One, uh, pull it back to the backhand. Whoop, backhand forehand. Thanks for coming, everybody. He just gave two of them the nine of hearts and the goalie. What a play by Falk. Welcome back to the toughest show in the league podcast. Lou Korak, Reed Lowe, and Dave Rapp with you for uh, two more segments. Talking Blues hockey, we talked a lot about Vince Dunn in the first segment. Talked a little bit about Jordan Biddington and a lot about Blues man crush, Braden Shen. We're going to talk more about him later on. Don't worry, uh, Sarah, when we talk about uh, or when we get to our questions from Twitter segment to end the show. But I want to wrap up uh, the Blues talk before we get to uh, looking around the league and talking about some of the local products that are playing in the NHL. Uh, and I want to talk about the man of the hour, uh, the sweet hands of the night, I uh, was watching Sportsnet up in Canada all day, and they're making a huge deal out of this guy's goal from last night. Obviously talking about number 72, Justin Folk. And uh, Lou, you were there last night. I was there last night. The look on Justin's face when Jim Thomas asked him about the Folketeers. Have you ever seen anything like that? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. He's got a he's got a fan club, a Twitter <laughs> fan club out there now. And yeah, I... He doesn't know much about it, uh, but I think he's going. I don't know. I don't. I don't even think he's on his. T- he's got a Twitter account. I think he does. It's escaping me right now, but I don't think he pays much attention. Probably pays as much attention to it as Reed does his. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a but, terrible um, Twitter. No, but uh, it's amazing. I mean, just in, in the little bit of time here, he's gone from like villain to hero, and it's 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 awesome because. Look at the way this guy is playing. I mean, and I even I even asked a question last night, are defensemen supposed to have moves like that? I mean, that that takes me back to who can I compare that to, Reed? Someone like a, a Bork or a Paul Coffey that would even attempt to like dangle around uh, two guys <clears throat> like that? You know, I don't I, I Paul Coffey was quicker than he was, you know, great hands. That was just, you know, that was like a forward almost. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like 
<clears throat> that was like, uh, you know, Sergey Fedorov, Alex Kovalev type crap. Like, I, I was just like, what? What the yeah. heck just happened? And it's just fun watching him, man. I'm so happy for him that he had, you know, it must have been such a tough year for him last year to grind through that and to, and to have to live through that. But I'll tell you what, you know, we talk about adversity all the time. You know, you live through something like that. It makes you better, right? When you don't quit, you don't give up on it. You don't demand another trade and whatever else happens. And you just have a good attitude and you come back around in the next year. Uh, the captain and the guy that was pretty much in your spot got moved away for you. And, you know, you're stepping up and making a difference. And uh, his game's in, in good shape right now. It's fun to watch him. And what a What a goal. You know, Lou, it's almost as if they didn't have Justin Falk last year, at least the real Justin Falk. It's almost like you added a whole new top pair to this hockey team, and you see what's happening with Krug and and Falk when they play together. It allows Pareko to to pair with Scandella, and they were a nice – I'll tell you this. I think it goes without saying. I don't want to jump the shark here. We'll get to it in a minute. But I think Scandella is a much better defenseman when he's playing with Pareko as opposed to anyone else in the lineup. We'll talk about that later. But uh, one of the things – Folk moving up allows is it allows for Pareko to pair with Scandella. Uh, how impressed have you been with Justin Folk? I know we talk about him week in and week out, but it's just because he's been that good. You know, I always, and I'm not doing one of these to pat myself on the back. Go ahead. You guys can say, yeah, you are. But um, <laughs> no, seriously, I, I just, I don't know how many times last, even last year, I, I kept, I tried to get these people and, and, and you got to love the passion of blues fans. You guys know how they are. I mean, one minute they're one minute, they're ready to uh, anoint you president of the country. The next minute they're ready to throw you in a dumpster, you know? And I just think that, you know, you could watch him last year and okay, you're coming into a team that's loaded with players from the defending Stanley cup champions. You're a right-handed defenseman. And you've got Alex Petrangelo and Colton Pareko, 20 to 25 minute guys sitting in front of you when you know you were in Carolina getting those exact same minutes. And where was that going to be divvied up to? And you're the, you're the you're the new guy in the room now. How are you supposed to blend in with a bunch of guys that just came off of winning the Holy Grail of hockey? OK, and you're coming to the Western Conference where play is different. I don't care what anybody says. The. The competition between East and West is different, and and, and I'll, I'll go to my dying grave saying that. And he was trying to find a role on this team, and you could – listen, good players can get lost sometimes, and I just felt like that, you know, he got lost in the shuffle. He just didn't understand and know what his role on this hockey team was supposed to be. Well, now you take Alex Petrangelo off of this team, that creates a huge big void. Who's going to step in there? Well, everybody had Colton, including myself. Colton Pareko is the guy that's going to step in Alex Petrangelo's shoes. Okay, forget about stepping in Alex Petrangelo's shoes. He's a very unique hockey player, and nobody is Alex Petrangelo. Just be yourself. And I just think Justin Falk came into this year saying, okay, I got a chance to be myself, and the rest will fall into place. And the more he plays, the more responsibility they're giving him. And what's probably impressing me more than anything about a guy that's really known for his offensive skills is he's embraced every defensive role on this hockey team. Who's on the ice when it's time to kill a penalty? Justin Falk. Who's on the ice in the last minute of a game protecting a one-goal lead? 
that you never would have even seen on this team last year, Justin Falk. I mean, the guy is embracing every defensive role that they're giving him, and it's great to see because I, I think you're, you know, and, and, and everybody has crucified Doug Armstrong for immediately giving him that big contract and seven years and six and a half million dollars a year. Oh, we're going to be stuck with that. Oh, my God, can, can Seattle please take this contract off of our hands, yada, yada, yada. Well, now you got people going, well, now we can expose Vince Dunn and you got to protect Justin Falk now. It's amazing the, the role of emotions that this fan base can go on. And again, I completely understand it because it just shows their passion, but it just goes to tell you how far down this guy was on the totem pole and how quickly he's jumped up on it in, in just 10 games. There's a great line that I love to throw out on Twitter. It's from the movie Slapshot, the greatest movie of all time. Denny Lemieux, the goaltender, uh, looks at, at one of the guys on the team and he says, my allergy to these fans has returned. <laughs> That's just, <laughs> Blues fans are, are so fickle. And this is the same <clears throat> fan base that 50% of them were calling for trades of Tarasenko and, and Petro the year they won the damn Stanley Cup. You know, we talked about the the Blues defenseman that, they all they all pick one that they love to hate, right? And and luckily for, or I guess I'd say unluckily for Vince Dunn, Justin Falk is playing really really good hockey because if Justin Falk wasn't playing the way he was the way he is, I think Blues fans wouldn't even be on Vince Dunn the way they are. They would they wouldn't have moved on from Justin Falk. But uh, Justin Falk is is just you know he's tearing it up, Losey. I mean, have have you seen? Uh, you know, Lou talks about the defensive situations. Have you seen any Blues defenseman that obviously no one's playing as good as him uh, offensively? But have you even seen a Blues fence, defenseman that's playing as as well as he is defensively? Well, <clears throat> not on this team right now. And uh, again, it's 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 about his his ability to to be mentally tough, right? Like I just talked about this with Don and how he's struggling with it and it was something that he went through last year and listen playing in the nhl is extremely difficult and keeping a mental toughness about you every single night you're beat up even this far into the season you got nicks and, and dings on you and uh it's hard to push through every single time you have to and he just he's he's feeding off it i think he's feeding off the enjoyment of having the fans enjoy him uh after having a year of them not really like him and, and that's got to feel great for him. And, you know, the sky's the limit. Like, this guy didn't get a contract he did because he wasn't deserving of contract back when he signed it. It was just a little bit of a <clears> – <throat> for me, it was a little bit of an anomaly trade to take a guy that was basically similar to Scandella and trade him for Falk when you kind of already had that and you were giving that part up. And then later in the year they brought him in and stuff like that. So uh, Scandella back in. But – um you know, so I think that Doug's done a good job to protect, and we all know why he did it. He wanted to protect the Petro situation. Um, he wanted to make sure that if something did happen to Petro, there was no guarantees he was going to get somebody else. And so he wanted to have somebody to backfill that, and that's not a bad choice. Um, it was just a little bit different um, to have that depth, that kind of depth on the blue line and to bring a guy in at $6.5 million, right? But you got to remember – and Jabo was still good then. He didn't have his little episode, you know what I mean? And so um, there was a, uh, there was a really, really def deep defense blues, uh, blues core there. So I think that when you take a look at 
um, you know, where he's at, what he's doing and where his mindset's at. He's got to be so excited. You know, he's the reason in a lot of cases that the Blues are winning with the goals that he's scoring and the way that he's playing and, and the way that he's got his mind in tune to the game and playing defensively and having doing the little things right. Sticks in lane, sticks under sticks. Um, he's so good at visually finding that guy in the neutral ice from his own end and making that crisp pass. And I haven't seen a guy do that in a long time since, like Chris Pronger, uh, make that really, really good first outlet pass. Justin Falk is an absolute ace at that. So um, he's only going to get better, guys. I don't even think we've seen the best of him yet. Guys, real quick, just to st- he's got three goals in 10 games, right, already? He didn't get his first goal last year until game number 28. It took him 39 games to get score his third goal last year. For a guy, again, that's touted for his offensive, defensive abilities. And, you know, that's just a small sample size, but it just goes to tell you how much they're relying on him, what they're relying on him for, and how much confidence he's playing with right now. I want to talk about the uh, man rocket, Jordan Cairo, uh, before we move on from the St. Louis Blues in the second segment. Uh, it's just impressive. Obviously, the growth is is obvious from last year to this year. He's much more comfortable. He's he's kind of found his, his footing there, as we talked about earlier, playing with Shannon Schwartz. Uh, have you guys, Lou, we'll start with you. Have you, uh, what words do we use to describe Jordan Cairo at this point? I mean, he, he's just good. Is this, it, it, are we convinced now that this is just the player he's going to be going forward? Or, or are you still in the back of your mind kind of waiting for him to slow down a little bit and maybe just off to a hot start? Um, I don't know. I don't know if necessarily waiting for him to slow down because I don't think he can slow down. It's, it's, <laughs> Watch him. I mean, he just zips up and down the ice and makes it look so easy. It's like, God, it, it's almost sickening to watch. But uh, to be honest with you, if he if he's able to maintain the kind of play that he has away from the puck, I, I think the sky's the limit for him because I think that's what's made him what he is right now. And again, we're talking about these guys. We're singing their praises, but yeah, we do. We do have to take into consideration. You know, it's it's ten games into the year. You know, let's let's see if some of these guys can sustain this kind of play. You know, if you're a Blues fan and if you're that coaching staff, you you're certainly hopeful of it, and uh, you'd certainly like to think that it's going to continue. But you know, it's not easy asking these guys to go out with that dogged determination and uh, and win those wall battles and. Uh, and be smart with your stick and, 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 and just play defensive style of hockey. Listen, when, when Jordan Cairo was in the O, do you, you think anybody up there asked him to play much defensive hockey when he's scoring 100, 150, 160 points a year? Probably not, you know, because you know you're going to, you know what you're going to get from him on the offensive side. That, that wasn't his responsibility. There were other people on the ice to do that. But in order for him to maintain his spot and maintain his role in the NHL, Listen, buddy, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to learn to be a two way forward, especially on this team, and especially playing for Craig Berube. If you're not, you're either gonna find yourself in the press box and and learning that valuable lesson, like he did on occasion last year, where some of those hard lessons had to be taught to him. But I think he's you know I think he's figured it out what they want from him, what they expect from him, and what they need from him, quite frankly, because. I think the play away from the puck is what's translating into a lot of the success that he's having with the puck right now. 
I think one of the things with those guys, um, you know, players that have that kind of success at the junior hockey level, uh, Lou is they didn't have to play defense because every time he got the puck, he was on the rush. Nobody could keep up with them. Nobody could fix it. You know, nobody could compete against him at that level because he's just so much head and shoulders above. And so that's what happens when a lot of these superstar players that are superstars in the Western Hockey League or even somewhat a little bit at the college level game where, um, they get they get a, an opportunity to come and play, and the offense doesn't come to them, and they don't really have an understanding of defense, or they haven't they haven't been smart enough or mentally tough enough. You'll hear me say that that seems to be my theme for the night to kind of understand what it's going to take. And there's guys that are uh, big time junior hockey players, first round draft picks. My center iceman, my last year junior, Matt Higgins, was drafted 16th overall by the Montreal Canadiens, got a 1.2 million dollar signing bonus and played 52 games or 39 games in the NHL because he could not adapt. He was not going to be a top six forward in the National Hockey League. And so he could not adapt to playing hockey at the National Hockey League level because they're either unwilling to be that defensive player. Look at a guy like Blair Atchinum. Blair Atchinum still to this day has the record in Moose Jaw for the Warriors for most goals in a single season with like 76 this is a guy that spent the first eight years of his pro career in the minor leagues until Jimmy Roberts grabbed him and said, dude, if you play a little defense, you could probably make the NHL. And so he went up there. He learned how to play defense, uh, not defense, but defensively became a penalty killer and then still had the opportunity when a guy got hurt where they could slide him into that top end role, but they can't stay consistent with it for prolonged periods of times. And there's a lot of guys out there and listen, it's no slash. It's no bad. You're still an amazing hockey player, but you just got to be able to play the game the right way. And especially in today's day and age, if you're not going to play from a defensive, you know, backside pressure type of atmosphere in hockey, you're not going to win hockey games because everybody's playing like that now. Everybody's work ethic. Everybody's in shape. Everybody's trying to find the perfect match on four lines so that they keep things fresh. That's the way that the game game of hockey is going today. And if you're not going to do it, you're just going to get left in the shades. And and Jordan's done a heck of a job this year, not only competing at a level that he's le- that he's having and having the success doing it, um, but he's showing his teammates and he's earning a lot of respect from them from what he does defensively as well. Reed, Jordan. can I can I add to this too? What I've noticed from him, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is guys at that level playing at the playing in a junior game do they tend to look more to when there's a play that's not there to be made, they still try to make a play and they can get away with making a mistake as opposed to at this level, if you try to do that, chances are it's going to wind up in the back of your net. Do you find Jordan Cairo and and, and I'm seeing this and I'm asking you, do you find him more now instead of trying to make that play that low percentage play, that highlight reel play, do you find him more just, being able to just dump the puck in and reload and cycle and do and 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 making the safe play, doing it over again as opposed to trying to play that risk reward type of a game. I, 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 for me, if I was a coach, I'm sure Craig Ruby thinks like this. You don't need high risk plays at what I like to consider the danger zones, which is your two blue lines, right? As a winger in your defensive zone, if that puck comes around to you and your defenseman and you don't get that puck out. You've just completely screwed every single member on your team over. And the reason when I talk to fans and people and try and break down the game of hockey for them, what does that mean? Why is that so important? Well, that's important because as soon as that puck gets outside that blue line, now every single one of their players has to come outside of the blue line, clear it up before they go back in. If they don't, chances are that they're going to get some sort of a shot on net 
and there's going to be a scrum in front of your net and you're going to have a chance to do it. And it's no different. Um, and I think this is where you were kind of talking with Kairu, little moves at the blue line where you take a guy offside and you don't understand yet that you've got to get across the blue line before you make that move. Because the game's so fast at the NHL level, you know, especially today, it's even faster than when I was playing. But you have to get those pucks in, and you cannot afford to have danger zone turnovers at the red line or at the offensive blue line or even at your defensive blue line. That's where you have to play a solid game and kind of say, hey, listen, I'm going to just chip this one in or I'm going to soft chip it or we're going to work on some, you know, if if they're playing their angles and they're playing really well, their defense from inside the lane of the dots, and we have to do some chipping and going or cross corners or wraps. Those are the types of things you have to do. Now, if you're outnumbered rush or if they're giving you room, like Buddy that fell down last night when Hoffman ran around him, you know, yeah. those are the opportunities that you got to take. But you can't force it at this level because if you do, like you said, it's going straight back where it came from. That move that Cairo made on the boards to get the third goal going last night, he, he makes that little oh. move against the boards, then gets his head up right away, Dishes the puck to the corner, and then you see, uh, I believe it was Schwartz, sits there and just waits out the defenseman beautifully. Dunn jumps in the play. That whole goal happens because of the hands of Jordan Cairo. If you were ranking number one and number two prospect on the active roster right now, would you rank Cairo above uh, Robert Thomas? Ooh, that's a tough one. If we're looking at the complete body of work, I would say no, but he's very close. If we're looking at this year... I'd say yes. I think Jordan Kyrou has been the better player this year. But we can't we can't underestimate the importance that Robert Thomas, and he's had some great moments already in his young career, especially in that Stanley Cup run. I mean, without some of the things, without him being able to help anchor that third line the way he did, I don't know. Everybody had a part in that, including Robert Thomas. I don't know if we'd be talking about a Stanley Cup right now, and that's that's saying a lot for a young kid, but I think this year, I think I think there have been some inconsistency. I think we can safely say in Robert Thomas's play right now. I'm still trying. I'm still waiting for him to shoot the puck. You know. Yeah. I think I think that I would agree with you. The only thing that I would kind of the way I would word it for myself is that Kairu's finally brought himself up to the level that we're expecting to see out of Robert Thompson. Thomas and the level that we've been wanting to see out of uh, out of Kairu moving along. So he was sagging a little bit behind. I don't necessarily think you can say his body of work is better than Robert Thomas's, but you can definitely say that he's now in the same conversation and you can have a conversation with those guys together about being a wonderful, wonderful dynamic duo that'll be a part of the St. Louis Blues for a long time. Let's handicap this thing. Uh, how many points, Lou, uh, are you are you going to put on the Jordan Kyrou tally for 56 games this year? Ooh, he's at 12 through 10 games, so he's at over a he's at over a point a game. Um, I I don't I don't th- I don't see him going at this clip. It's going to be awfully hard to sustain this over 56 games because he's still look. What is he? 22 years old. There, there's going to be. Not not that he's going to play poorly, but there's going to be some dip in points. I, I'm going to give him 40. How about that? I'll give him 40. I think he can hit 40 points, especially if he continues to play with uh, the worker bees slash workhorses slash uh, all-world forwards, uh, Schwartz and Shen. I mean, if he continues to play with those guys, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he can hit 40 points. Losey, where do you have him? 
I think he's going to have a little bit of a lull here. Um, not soon, but I think you're, you're going to get about halfway into the season and he's going to, it's just, it's inevitable. You can't just keep going like this. Like the, the emotional high has to have a, has to, the wind has to come out a bit and then you have to build that sail up again. Uh, I, I can't, I, I don't think 40 is out of the imagination, but if you ask me over and under, I'd probably take under. I think he's somewhere in that 35 range. I uh, will correct myself. I said 16 games into the 56 games uh, schedule. Lou was correct. It's 10 games in, and I realized what happened. I threw shade at NHL.com. They were right. I was wrong. Don't do that. I know. I copied and pasted wrong into my <laughs> notes. So when I went back and checked my notes against the NHL.com website, I realized that I copied and pasted uh, incorrectly. So, yeah, I just Once had to Once again, Reed, who's, who's wrong as usual? Dave Rapp. So, you know, it's nice Dave that Rapp. it's always the same guy on this podcast, you know? Hey, I try to be as Canadian about it as possible and just own it and apologize and, and move That's on. Deep. Because I'm not from Moose Jaw, but I'm trying to embrace nope. that good Canadian boy attitude. Own up to my my miscues. Everybody appreciates that. (laughs) Attaboy. We've talked about him a couple of times now, Doug Armstrong, with another big honor uh, named to him today. He is once again the GM of Team Canada, this time for the upcoming Olympics. Uh, He's done this job once before. You don't get to be GM of Team Canada if you're not good at your job. I used to say the same thing about Jay Bomeister when when these mouth breathers would come after Jay Bomeister on Twitter, and I would say, so you're telling me this guy's not good enough for the top six in the St. Louis Blues, but he's good enough for the top four on Team Canada. Yeah, go figure. But uh, regardless, you know— You shouldn't have been on that team. Oh, you're out of your mind. Jay Bomeister shouldn't you're have been on— You're out of your mind. Jay Bomeister shouldn't have been on that Team Canada? No, he shouldn't have. You're out of your mind. We'll get on he, that. He's not one of the—he was not one of the top six Canadian defensemen. Sorry. Well, not at that, not at that time in his year when he, Jay Bowmeister, the only time that I was super impressed with Jay Bowmeister as a St. Louis blue was a Stanley cup run when uh, Craig Berube put him and Franco together and gave them life, gave them something to accomplish every single game, which was playing against the other team's best forwards. When Jay Bowmeister had that, he was great. Jay Bowmeister was what some, again, this guy's had some, been a part of some really good things. Don't get me wrong. He's part of that. How many gold medals and Stanley Cups and da-da-da-da they had, World Junior, whatever that the little stat is. But I'm just saying Jay Bomeister should not have been on that Team Canada. Mm-mm-mm. With all that firepower on Team Canada, you don't want a guy who just does everything right and never makes a mistake. You'd rather have the guy who turns the puck I over I don't, and I, makes I, scary I never, plays. I wasn't a huge fan of Bomeister when he got here. I, I, think he was, I think he spent a lot of time falling down in front of the net. There was a lot of minuses that he took. I, I don't think he was great. No, I don't. God, watching that guy. I was. On, I'm. I'm on the haters list. Before, I, I, as far as a human, I love the guy. I love the guy. I can't but remember. I, I played against him, and I just. I. I just don't. I never saw what everybody else saw. When Doug Armstrong would re up him on those five and a half, six million dollar deals, I was scratching my head, going, "What?" Before, not Lou, just me, Lou. I don't remember if it was the knee or the hip for him. But hip. it was it was the hip and it was yeah. the hip when he started to come back around when he Bef- got his hip fixed. But before yeah. the hip, I mean, watching that guy skate, just in the, what he did in the neutral zone and how smooth he was, watching the way he opened up his hips and kept plays alive. I mean, I, we're we're gonna have to agree to disagree on that one because I I don't know. Babcock was the coach of that team, right? Yeah. Okay. If if I recall correctly, didn't and and again, I'm not I'm not discrediting Jabo here, but. Uh, didn't he just like that package of Bomeister and Petrangelo together? Right. I think it was something about that. Yeah. I, I wasn't Armstrong the general manager on that team too, if I'm not mistaken. 
I yeah. believe so. I think it was the one before that that he was the was GM. It? I am checking right now. So we had Olympics, Winter Olympics in 10, 14, and 18, but they didn't play in 18, you said? So it had to have been 14. Yeah, it was 14. You said that. I was four. So let me see here. It was 14. So we've got P.K. Subban was on the team. My bad. Um, Mark uh, Vaslik was on the team. Uh, Alex Petrangelo, Jay Bomeister, Drew Doughty, Shea Weber was on the team too. Dan Hamius and Duncan Keith. There you go. Dude, yeah. So I, I don't know. I I, I like that. Pretty, there, was a, there was a there was a team that he didn't play on that that Shea, and I don't know who it was, but there was a team that Shea Weber didn't play on, and and he and Bomeister did, and I was like losing my s- stuff. oh man uh back to the topic at hand doug armstrong obviously uh, a phenomenal gm and obviously his hands are all over the stanley cup win he's pulled off some of the greatest trades in blues history i grew up uh just idolizing uh, the professor ron karan but uh he'll always be number one to me but I want to ask you boys if we're ranking all-time GMs, is Doug Armstrong not? If he's not one, is he two? As far as the best of all time, Blues GMs. Oh, boy. And you've had some good well, ones. Well, he won the yeah. cup, so it's kind of hard to yeah. argue. I mean, that's that's first and foremost. I mean, I love the professor. I mean. Boy, you talk about somebody that wasn't afraid to fail. (laughs) (laughs) To me, yeah, to me, that guy is – but you know what? That that to me, guy, speaks volumes about a general manager is somebody that's not afraid to fail, if that makes any sense. Big time. You know, you can talk about – you could say that about both of these guys. They're Mm -hmm. they're not afraid to fail. And if you're afraid to fail, that to me is when you're going to make – you're going to make the most blunders and mistakes out there. And – when when you can fail and you admit it, you move on. You learn to you you learn to get better. I think that's what he's done. And you know, first and foremost, uh, it happened with Ryan Miller. Look, he he took a he took a risk. He took a chance at a time when we were all kind of scratching our heads because Brian Elliott was playing really, really well good. for this hockey team and did throughout his Blues career. And, and Miller Armstrong, didn't. And Miller didn't have a great beginning of that season, if you remember no, correctly. Yeah. No, he didn't. But I mean, he went out to see if he can get somebody that he felt was more proven. It didn't work. He made a mistake. You live and you move on from that, and uh, and you get stronger from it. And I think he's done that. And he did it with uh, he did it with the Halak trade. I mean, you can you can go on and on and on. But I mean, you know, he fleeced Buffalo for Ryan O'Reilly. I'm sorry, he right. did. You know. I think uh, at the time, he fleeced Philadelphia for Braden Shen. I say that at the time. There's a caveat there because Philadelphia has gotten some good draft picks out of that. Yes, got, they have. You got what? Uh, Morgan Frost is there and Joel Farabee mm-hmm. is doing quite well. So big game last night for worked, Farabee, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's worked out quite well. So he's not afraid to go out and make hockey trades for this, for this franchise in order to make it better and go out and sign guys. I mean, look, he's brought – David Prawn's come back here three times, so there, there's got to be something that's going right here. And uh, but I know I've, I've rambled on about this, so if I had to pick one or the two, I, I'm, I'm going to have to say Doug Armstrong because simply put, he won the Stanley Cup, and uh, the professor wasn't able to get there. Uh, God rest his soul, he tried. He tried his best. Uh, it just didn't work out that way, but it did for Army. 
And I think that if uh, I think the one that got away from the professor was uh, the year he traded the entire third line for Garth Butcher. I think that was the one that got I, away from him. From him. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. I don't, Reed, I don't know if you do or not, but uh, at that time when that happened, weren't, weren't the Blues like number one overall in the league and everything yeah. was going well for him? I, I, I was, you know, I was a lot younger back then. I just kept thinking to myself. Uh, why, why are you trying to fix something that isn't broken? And then you look at uh, those players that went to Vancouver in that deal, and all of them helped that Vancouver team get to the Heck 94 yeah. Cup final against the New York oh, Rangers. God, yeah. And it was just a hell of a team. And the Calgary Flames and the Vancouver Canucks, no one likes Ron Caron more than those two teams. Well, I guess Calgary did get fleeced on the Brent Hall deal. But, Losey, you played for uh, Lair Bear, old Larry Plo, who I, you know, I think he's up there, too, a great GM, obviously. Uh, was responsible for getting you into the program, so we got to thank him for that. But uh, where do you have Doug Armstrong on the all-time list here? Well, I got to echo everything that uh, that Lou said. Obviously, he's the only Stanley Cup-winning general manager in St. Louis Blues history, so he's got to get some sort of a nod there. And the one other thing that I like about what he's done is he's managed to, even though there's been signings, free agent signings, and signings that he's made where I was like. Um, he may be the best GM in the history of the NHL at making a trade. And And that's the one thing Doug Armstrong is so, so, so good at. He is so good at making sure that he knows what he's doing and where that guy is going to fit into that roster. He brings somebody on that you need fitted into this team. He doesn't just trade for players. And there's a big difference between the two of those things. You know, there was times well it's it's hard to doubt him because when you Lou, you mentioned it, some of the things that you scratch your head at, I'll point to the Steen contract. Okay, uh, that was one where even as a guy who's a fan of of Alex Steen's game and one of my favorite Blues of all time, when when Steen gets that deal after Bacchus didn't, I'm saying to myself, well, why one and not the other? These are the same guy here. What's going on here? But then what happens? You don't win a Stanley Cup in 2019 without Alex Dean and what he does for the bottom half of that lineup. So, I mean, everything, everything that this guy does comes up roses. You talked about the Lori Laterra deal. But what does he do? He turns that into Braden Shen. And again, you don't win a Stanley Cup in 2019 without Braden Shen. I mean, even when this guy, he's, he's great at when he makes a bad move, recognizing that move and fixing it, right? I, I don't think there's anyone in the league uh, like you guys said, that's as good as making trades. And what I always said about Blues fans to go along with the Team Canada point, like, hey, this guy's obviously good at his job, is this. You know, St. Louis, whether it be players or front office executives, it's not easy to get big-name guys to St. Louis to, to do their job in the sports world, right? We saw it with Stanton in the MLB. I, I like St. Louis, just don't want to play there, right? But, you know, you've got uh, – Blues fans forget. You've got one of the three to five most powerful GMs in all of hockey. A guy that if he calls another GM's phone, the GM picks it up because he knows it's Doug Armstrong and you better pick up the phone for Doug freaking Armstrong. And sometimes I think Blues fans, just like players, they forget how uh, how good they have it. And Losey, you're over there making a face at me. So I'll, what do you got before we get out of there for this segment? No, no. We're, I, 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 like I said, I, I think he's a great, great, great GM. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, he does a lot for this community, but I would question the one thing you said about how guys don't want to come to St. Louis and play hockey. They might not want to come here to play baseball, but St. Louis is on the map for guys to come and be a part of this organization, a part of this town. And you're seeing it more and more and more 
um, with the different things that the Blues are allowed to bring into town from an NHL standpoint and how our Blues alumni are able to showcase what we truly have here, which is probably the most special group of blue of, of alumni players assembled in one town there is. So um, these guys get it. Alex Steen gets it. He's sticking around a little bit. He's probably going to be going back and forth or whatever he's doing, but he's around. He's going to be a part of the Blues alumni. And that's probably the, the one thing that kind of goes a little bit unnoticed with uh, professional hockey. Um, you know, you got your Toronto's and you got your, your, uh, your Boston's, but there's this little Midwestern town of about what, two, five to two, seven million people that, 45 guys have stayed here after because they're so ingrained into the community and they're so, so it's such a huge part of our lives and the people still to this day stop you. Has it only really been 14 years, Losey? You know what I mean? Like they just don't forget you once you poured your blood, sweat and tears on the ice. So um, there's, that is very well known in the hockey circles. Yeah. Reed, have you seen anything like this? I wanted to ask that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I'm curious. I really am. I mean, you know, you're from, you're from Saskatchewan. Uh, Chris Pronger is Canadian. Al McInnes is from what? Nova Scotia. Yep. Walt's from Walt's a Boston boy. I mean, we can go on and on and on and on about the alumni. What is it about St. Louis? And St. Louis is my hometown. I'm born and raised here. What is it? Is there a common denominator about St. Louis that says you guys are going to build your lives here after your career is over? Well, um, most guys find a wife here, so that helps. Uh, but <laughs> at, the, at the end – at the end of the day, it's the fans. It's the it's the it's the uh, you know the screaming the blues at the end of the, the national anthem. It's uh, it's 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 honestly uh, a little bit of their uncanny craziness when it comes to having any sort of patience in the game of hockey at, <laughs> at all, right? Like you know you, you can go on a ten game winning streak, lose a game, and they're like, oh, we got a one game losing streak? Are you serious? You know they'd be mad <laughs> right. at you. You know right. what I mean? And they're just they're so passionate, they're so into it. And they just love you. And again, like you, you just have an opportunity to kind of feel like you're still, there's moments where I still feel like I'm in the NHL. And that's, that's just the way the St. Louis fans are. That's the way they make you feel. Um, the communities of it's a bigger community, obviously that I'm from, but it's small, you know, you can get anywhere in St. Louis in 30 minutes, you know what I mean? And uh, uh, traffic's not too terrible. Um, there's a bunch of pockets here that are really cool with food and entertainment and everything else that goes on. Um, and it's not an over, uh, oversaturated sporting community either. You know, we had the Rams and man, it'd been awesome to keep them, but you know, we got the Cardinals and we got the blues. And when you take a look at two franchises of professional sports, it doesn't get a whole lot better than those two. We'll so wrap up this segment. And uh, when we come back from break, we're going to talk to the fans a little bit. We're going to take a look around the NHL, specifically the local boys, the uh, St. Louis kids, then what they're doing around the league. Trent Frederick with a big night last night. And uh, Tom Wilson's face uh, felt the other end of that. We'll talk about all that and more when we come back from break. It's the Toughest Show in the League podcast. Rap, Losey, and Korak back right after this. Here we go. Trent Frederick and Tom Wilson. Be careful what you wish for because Wilson can throw. Frederick gets in a couple of blows. Wild rights. Frederick goes for a tumble. And the stick salute from both teams. Trent Frederick handles himself very nicely against the baddest dude in hockey. Uh, Lozy, you saw the Trent Frederick fight with Tom Wilson before he went on the air. Just give us your thoughts. Give us the uh, expert opinion on what you saw out of uh, Trent Frederick. Well, um, I was really 
impressed because, um, you know, young kid coming in against, you know, probably one of the tougher guys in the NHL. And again, using the word tougher guy in the NHL a little bit loosely because there isn't <laughs> guys that are just absolute cream ball destroying people like there used to be. Um, but these guys are still tough, man. Like, you know, uh, Tom Wilson and whoever else out there, there's, there's a, there's a handful of guys that, uh, that can throw down and, you know, that's gotta be intimidating. You know, I remember what it was like for me to fight guys that were kind of considered the toughest guys in the league. It's, it's nerve wracking. And, um, but at the end of the day, I just love the way this kid plays hockey. Um, you can tell he's a St. Louis kid. You can tell he, he grew up watching, uh, watching good tough guys as a, as a St. Louis Blues <laughs> fan, um, you know, whether it's Chaser or Twister or myself or, or Cam or DJ King, you know, we had a, we had a pretty solid run of guys that take care of the boys in St. Louis uh, over, uh, over the last 30 years. And um, he's a guy that grew up as a, as a Blues fan. He's comes from a great family. He's a great kid. He works hard and I'm just proud of him and excited for him uh, to get out there and get a little bit of light because uh he wasn't. He wasn't holding on. I'll tell you that he was swinging for the fences, and uh, he hit him. He he hit him with a real good one, knocked his helmet off. So I was just excited for him because that's a big moment. And you skate to the penalty box after having a fight like that, and you got you got a little swell in your chest. Lou, how fun is it to see uh, Mr. Frederick, the St. Louis boy? We know uh, we were just talking about being from St. Louis, and and you know how special that is in the hockey world. And and Lozy was talking about how much that means to a lot of guys around the league. How cool is it to see a guy like Trent Frederick go toe to toe with you know uh, if it's not Ryan Reeves it's it's Tom Wilson as heavyweight champ uh, you know quotation marks because Losey's here uh, in terms of heavyweight champ in the league because uh, you know Losey's these guys aren't the same obviously as as the guys that Losey were scrapping with I don't know that Tom Wilson would have stood a chance against some of the guys like Probert and and Losey and Twister and Chase you know the guys that even Mike Peluso, look at him shaking his you know, head I don't think you know he could have stood in there with those guys I do think Ryan Reeves could have I don't think Tom Wilson can, but I think Ryan Reeves could have. But how cool is it to see a uh, long-winded intro here, Lou? How cool is it to see Trent Frederick go toe-to-toe and just kind of, you know, it's almost like a heavyweight fight, right? It was the marquee matchup of the night as far as fights are concerned. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't one of those knockout, drag-em-out fights where, they, where it lasted a long time and both guys just had nothing left. But I mean, I think he earned the respect of his bench, like you said, just because of uh, who it was. You know, it wasn't you know, he didn't cower over like I've seen some people do with Tom Wilson or even Ryan Reeves or some of these other guys that are, you know, known to just pummel you into the ice. But, uh, you know, when when you can do that, uh, you're going to earn the respect of your teammates. And uh, I, I think no matter what else he did the rest of the night, that that was just going to win over his game just, just simply for that. I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those where, you know, I can use the example a couple of nights ago. Remember when the Blues scored, what, three goals in two minutes against Anaheim the other night? And who's the one that's trying to get uh, the Ducks going? Their captain, Ryan Getzlaff. I mean, he's not known as a fighter, but there he is. He's going to step up there to Kyle Clifford and try to get his team going. I mean, I, I just think at that point in time, you know, Frederick's trying to get a spark, get something going from his team. And, uh, you know, I, I think it worked just from the simple standpoint of who it was and, uh, you know, the, the reputation that Tom Wilson has around the league. He's a good hockey player. He's a strong hockey player. And, uh, you know, th- does he go out of his way to do certain things? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think he's one of the more intimidating presences in the league today. And uh, I think the young lad uh, 
did himself well. And, uh, you know, you, you, you earn that respect, not only from your teammates, but from other guys that are in that position around the league, knowing, Hey, uh, maybe, maybe they'll think twice of going up against, uh, Trent Frederick, just because uh, he was willing to uh, go toe to toe with Tom Wilson. It's an interesting reaction uh, in that game. Obviously, it had an effect on the game. Washington uh, had a three nothing lead, and the fight went down. It's three two, so they're back in the game. It's really a heads up fight by Frederick there, as you guys yep. mentioned, going out there and trying to make something happen when he sees his teams right there on the verge. Peter Laviolette was a little bit miffed by the uh, decision by Tom Wilson to fight, and I think that kind of goes. Uh, that's the knock on Tom Wilson, the decision-making. His coach uh, had this to say. It gets chippy out there, he said, after uh, LaViolette said after the game. He says, you're playing a team uh, that you're just competing with inside your division, back-to-back nights, and so the guys get under each other's skin a little bit. That had been going on through the better part of two games. I just think Tom's an important piece of our team, and I appreciate his toughness and physicality, but we appreciate him on the ice just as much. Uh, kind of you know, hinting there that Tom Wilson doesn't need to – fight Trent, Trent Frederick in that situation. But I I don't know about you boys, but I, I think that goes a little bit uh, as a feather in the cap of Trent Frederick for getting a guy like Tom Wilson to fight him at that instance in the game. Hey, Lozy? Yeah, it, it's a different philosophy today. Uh, and it was actually the philosophy was starting when I was finishing. And actually a little bit as I was moving through my hockey career, uh, my NHL career anyways, and to where coaches <laughs> would rather – watch you not fight when it's a three nothing game then they would watch then they want you to protect the lead um and and it, and it was something i didn't understand because there was just kind of like a there was just kind of like a code hey man if we get up three or four nothing i'm gonna need a fight and you're gonna come you're gonna help me with it and then the same thing happens whenever we get up on you then i'll throw you that bone back and you know from a um from a tough guy standpoint you want to do that because it's your role and it's your game Again, like we said, the, the, there's not a legit heavyweight on everybody's fourth line in the NHL anymore. In fact, the guys that are the tough guys in the league typically don't play on fourth lines. You know, obviously the Blues have Clifford and he's a fourth liner, but, you know, Clifford's a good skater and can compete in the game of hockey as well. You don't have guys that are liabilities out there. Um, and I think that, that was that's kind of filtered in. And it's part of the game that I don't love um, because – if those two tough guys don't go out there and fight, there's a better chance that it could be a five or six or seven nothing game and somebody gets stupid with a stick or somebody hits a guy from behind or somebody gets an elbow up and the frustrations all start to come together like that where when you take a look at two guys that signed on the dotted line to do this and they get out there, everybody's happy, they're running back from the concession stands to watch the fight everyone's standing up nobody's going to the concession stand the beer vendors are on pause nobody's doing a thing for the next 30 40 50 60 however many seconds it's on there um and then you get to go have a good hockey game and even though it might be three two three one they might get a couple you might see a quote unquote as a coach would say momentum shift i don't necessarily think that's bad for the game of hockey you want to watch it six nothing or do you want to watch a good fight and then have a good hockey game take over after because the guys on the team that are down three nothing are like, hey man, you know this guy's sticking up and putting his face in the line for us, and the guys that are up three nothing saying, hey, same thing. This guy's protecting our league. Let's get out there and, and let's get a good game going. And um, that's the mentality behind why I thought it was important to have that. But you know, coaches like to have all the control. And I used to tell Joel Quinville, I'd be like, why do you tell me I can't fight? Like you don't think I'm gonna win? Like that kind of damages my psyche a little bit when you're like, hey, Lozy, you got the red light, and I'm like, red light? Are we playing Red Rover? What like what's the red light, Joel? 
what if he punches me in the face? Am I supposed to skate away and turtle? And you know, his response at some times were like, yeah, you know? And uh, so it's just not something that for me, I think it's, it's a control aspect to the game. It gets the game out of craziness. The two tough guys have come out, they've done their job and it's over and done with. And I'm, so that's an aspect I missed the game, but I was kind of surprised in that setting that, um, that Tom Wilson would do that because in his scenario, he is a top end player on that team and his physicality um, and his ability to get on a four check, not to mention score goals um, is something that they need as much as they need anything. Lou, did you see uh, one Mr. Brady Kachuk and the Ottawa Senators take on Edmonton last night? Did you see uh, Brady going after uh, Cassian on the bench last night? I saw bits and pieces of it. Yeah. I thought it was, uh, thought it was quite hilarious to put it mildly. It's uh it was almost like one of those, uh, hey, buddy, I'm seeing you for the first time. Uh, you want, you messing with my brother, you yeah. mess with one, you mess with the other, right? Yep, that's I what it. I was thinking too. I'm thinking, you know, I, I wish that I could read lips because I'm watching it. Uh, I'm watching the Sportsnet Central feed and they're they're just zoomed in on Brady's face and you can see Brady just jawing at Cassian. Cassian's getting held down by like four guys. And it's one of those situations where he's you can almost kind of tell he's playing off the fact that Cassian's being held down. Like, yeah, why don't you get up and come and get me? That's right. You can't get up and come and get me. It was just phenomenal. But what I noticed the most was how much did he look like his dad when he was sitting there starting trouble? I mean, the facial features, the way he was jawed, it looked like Walt's face to a T. Well, that, to me, it was like the jawline yes, to me was yes. what more that stood out. And uh, I'll be honest, well, uh, I don't think uh, – I don't think a rocket scientist would have to figure this out. I don't think the Kachuk brothers are going to be invited over to the Cassians for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Lozy, we didn't have a chance to talk about this, but when you look back on that uh, Cassian-Matthew Kachuk situation, obviously it's not a good look to get ragdolled the way Matthew Kachuk did the first time. Uh, but when you look back at that situation, uh, to me, I, this just goes to Matthew Kachuk, and now you're starting to see it with Brady. These guys, just like their dad, know how to crawl up inside someone's brain and live there rent-free during a hockey game, don't they? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Matthew especially. Um, and again, I, we talked about it last week or the week before what, what, about his situation and kind of a little bit about him. And he just has a really uncanny ability to be a pain in everybody's side. And a great hockey player. And again, I wish that he would make some better decisions. I think as he matures and grows into the game, he will. Um, it'll be a respect thing for him and his peers. Um, he's a great hockey player. Uh, we all talk. We hope he lands in St. Louis someday. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see Kachuk on the back of a St. Louis jersey again. That would be something that's awesome. But um, it's not easy to carry around that agitator role and play the game of hockey at a high level. And, and Matthew Kachuk does a really good job of it. We asked the uh, fans of the show to reach out uh, on Twitter and uh, give us their questions. We're going to wrap up the show with that today as uh, we always look forward to hearing from our fans. we got a lot of good questions uh, on Twitter today. Lou, why don't you start us off? Okay. Yeah, the first one is from actually the one uh, it's at Ash underscore Gibbs Blues. He's the one, I believe, that started the Falketeers fan club. There you go. And uh he asks, what would be your plans with the Blues when Vladdy is edging close to returning to the ice? Uh, I like this uh, this question a lot because it's something I play with on NHL 21 constantly. And I think where I'm at now 
is not disrupting what you have going in the top six. If it's still going this way uh, towards the middle of this month when, when Vladdy would be coming back, you know, I really like the idea of trying to enhance Robert Thomas's ability with passing the puck by uh, letting him center Hoffman and Tarasenko together. What, what a third line there, right? If you can trot a third line out there with 18, 68, and 91, uh, I don't know that there would be a better quote-unquote third line in all of hockey. And I also like it because it takes a little bit of the pressure off Vladimir Tarasenko. He doesn't have to come back and jump into top six minutes. He doesn't have to come back and jump in with the pressure squarely on his shoulders. I think that was uh, a little bit of the issue when he returned last time. That There was a little bit put too much on him too quickly. So I like the idea of, of keeping the status quo as long as things are still going well. And I like the idea of pairing him with Robert Thomas on that third line and possibly, as I said, even adding Hoffman to the mix on that, side, on that uh, line, given he can play both sides. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have – I think that's a great idea. I think you're going to – you know, it's going to depend on who's playing what and, and who's playing well and who's not. Um, if the Blues are in a little bit of a scoring lull <laughs> and Vladdy's getting tossed right back into the fire as hard as he possibly <laughs> right. can, you know that. Um, so in an, in an ideal world, you know, there's there's twofold to your comment. And I'll comment to your point more than I'll make a comment on, on Vladdy because I, I don't really think it matters where he plays. You know, I just want to make sure that, that they make sure he's healed. And that, you know, because this happens again and, and he's probably – on his way out uh, in an early retirement and um, he's got a lot of juice left in the tank. And so I think the number one thing they need to do is make sure that they got it this time um, and not rush him back. Um, you know, if I was Vladdy, Vladdy and then he's a competitive guy, you know, you've watched him develop into the hockey player that he is um, from being a guy that took shifts off and mentally wasn't the toughest player to a guy that was instrumental in them winning a Stanley cup. And, and so hopefully we can get back to having that guy on the ice. Um, but I think Vladdy's got to be looking at, you know, sitting out as long as he possibly can until that shoulder is ready. And, and, you know, I'm not sure how long they think it's going to take or, or how severe the surgery was or, or what their expectations are. But that, that would be the one thing I would say from that. And I'll tell you what, you know, the other thing is, can Vladdy do what, uh, um, what Steiner did? And that's moved down to a third line and, and do it with his head held high, knowing that he's probably still going to get a few extra minutes. But Man, I'll tell you what, what a dynamic trio those three on the same line would be. I'd love to see that. You know what, though, Reed? What about uh, throwing 91 out there with uh, 90 and 57? Yeah, you know, I think they've probably played a little bit together before, haven't they? So um, I think they've already had a little taste of that. Uh, again, that gets a little tough uh, to, to rappers' comments on you know, him getting on that line and, and playing those types of minutes right off the bat. So um, being in a being in a role that's a, a little lesser on the line could could help him. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you just get your car back and it's broke down and <laughs> it's really fast and it's got a bunch of horsepower. You're going to, you know, say, oh, I can't put it into, you know, whatever gear. I can't rev it past this RPMs or I got to take care of it in this way, shape or form. You know, what do you want to do with your with your superstar player and 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 what's the best thing for the blues to do with him? And you know, like I said, I think it's gonna a lot of it's gonna depend on what's going on with uh with uh um the team, the wins, the goal scoring. There's a lot of things that are gonna come into play when he's on his way back, but uh I don't mind any either of those line combinations. All right, let's try another one here. Uh this one from interesting name at Sick 
Slick Rick. <laughs> it's one of my favorite MCs of all time, Slick Rick. Yeah. What are your thoughts on switching Sanford and Hoffman? Both are playing all right, but maybe it gives them the boost they need. I'll tell you, it's a, it, again, I hate to say it, but it's another it's another move that I've made in NHL 21 when I'm playing uh, the online hockey late at night trying to get tired before bed. Uh, I don't I don't think it's a bad move whatsoever. I would I, I don't the 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 worry I have is I think Hoffman is a guy who can create his own offense. I don't think Zach Sanford is that same type of player. I think Zam, Zach Sanford is better off playing with an O'Reilly and a Perron, especially you know if he can use his physical tools to buy space for a guy like Perron while while O'Reilly you know patrols the middle of the ice, both the offensive and the defensive zone. I think that's overall just a better fit for him. So yeah, that's where I'm at. See, and I think that. Uh... I, I, I agree with I agree with that move. I, I would definitely swap those two out. When I look at Sanford, I don't see this goal scoring prowess guy that's going to light your lamp for you and give you four thirty forty goals. I, I see a guy that's as much of a of a grinder and a mucker, and a guy that's going to get in there and help your uh, help your team in the offensive zone. He can play good defensively. I don't think he's the best skater in the world, but I don't think he's terrible either. But he's going to get his goals greasing it up in front of the net. And he's got really good hands around the net. You see some of the goals that he scored. He does have a good shot, um, but he's not a first-line player for me. I, I, you know, and I don't know whether you consider O'Reilly's line to be the first line, but it's definitely the first or the second, depending on what day of the week it is. Um, and I just don't, I don't see that. And, and you give a guy $4 million and a guy that has been a goal scorer um, in the high 20s and the 30s and, 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 and been that guy and you brought him in to do that, I'm surprised as to why he's not getting a better opportunity to play with uh, with like a Perron and, a, and an O'Reilly, in my opinion. So I, I agree with the move, and it's something that I would make because I want to make sure that you know I'm getting my bang for my buck out of four million bucks a year, and I'm not sure you're doing that on the third line. Well, Reed, that ties in with the one I was going to ask here. Then next, and it comes from Charlie at CM seven three five five seven one four zero. I don't know if that's like a Mr. Gadget number, but uh, that's <laughs> I think that's a CB number. radio handle. <laughs> it is, isn't it? But Charlie wants to know: Do you think the Blues re-sign number sixty-eight, meaning Mike Hoffman? That's uh, way, 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 way too early. To even he's definitely not. He's definitely not getting re-up for a long-term deal right now. That's for sure. And again, we've talked about it. Uh, this guy could catch fire, and you know he had a really nice goal. The way he pulled that puck inside of himself and ripped it under the bar over the goalie's oh, shoulder, awesome. glove hand. You know, it, I'll tell you right now, you come down one on one on a goalie on an angle like that, you got a you got about a three inch diameter to 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 hit a puck to get it over that goaltender's shoulder with how big they are and how they play in the butterfly and how they come out and cut that angles down. I couldn't believe that that went in, but I'll tell you what, goal scorer is going, and they need to be doing everything they can to get him in position to be a goal scorer because. You know, I think with what was going on with Vladdy, that was obviously the reason why you were bringing him to the table. And obviously, it, had, it, it hasn't started the way you wanted to. His, his visa wasn't ready, and he just hasn't obviously fit in. He does have a couple goals now on the season. But, you know, if I'm the Blues, I'm going to try and capitalize on last night. I thought he played a good game last night. I thought he was involved. I, I thought he was good out there. And, and that's a guy that you want to get going. You want to see that guy scoring some goals. And I just don't think it's going to happen from the third line the way it could if he's playing with Riley and Perron. Yeah, I I can answer this by saying, would I like to see them re-sign Mike Hoffman? I would say 
the like you said, Reed, the jury's still out right now. But to me, I think it depends on what they do with Jaden Schwartz. And I, I think that's going to be, I think that's probably the centerpiece to all of this. And I, I think Jaden Schwartz is like, you're building this puzzle and you're trying, he's the middle of it all. And you're trying to figure out where all the other pieces are going to go. If you don't re-sign Jaden Schwartz, I think that opens up the door to a lot of different avenues. But I think if you, I think if you sign Jaden Schwartz, it's going to cost you probably, I'm going to say in the $6 million range minimum. I say, I got That's, him at seven. I got him at seven, one, seven, well, two, seven, I'm, three. I'm, I'm probably going off the low end there by saying six. I'm thinking, I'm thinking more in line of what Braden Shen got and Braden Shen got what? Six and a half. That's true. So, and honestly, it's a good comp. <laughs> I know we're kind of, I know we're veering off here on that, but I thought at the time when Braden Shen signed, I thought he signed for less than what he was going to get. So this is where I think a Jaden Schwartz falls in. So I think if you lose a Jaden Schwartz, I, I think you seriously have to consider bringing a Mike Hoffman back because are they the same player? No, but I think Mike Hoffman can give you better offensive production, but nobody's going to be that workhorse that a Jaden Schwartz is. Yeah. And, well, and if Hoffman doesn't, if Hoffman doesn't put some goals on the board this year and, you know, yeah. he has eight goals this season, you know, it's just going to be one of those blunders that didn't work out and it is what it is. And you kind of move on, but you know, with 56 games, if he can put 20 gold season together, you know, that's, you're now starting to look at, okay, well, if he had another 30 games, could he have scored 40, you know, could he have scored 35? Um, and how is this play and, and where was the dynamic and who was he feeding off of and, and what was happening in those moments? So um, to answer the, the, the question off Twitter, we got a long way to go before we decide what we're doing with Hoffman. Money's coming off the books next year. Obviously, you got a decision to make with seventeen, and I think, like as Lou said, that's gonna that's gonna affect the, the decision to bring him back uh, as big as anything else, as much as anything else will. But again, I also agree with Losey because it's way too early, especially when your GM is Doug Armstrong. Because who thought he was gonna get Mike Hoffman this year? <laughs> <laughs> like he might find a way to get everybody back on the roster. So, uh, you well, know, he's been I, trying to get Mike Hoffman for the last three or four years. Right. So. so I think there's a situation where he could end. I don't put anything past Doug Armstrong. Uh, I think he'll try to get Mike Hoffman back, but I worry that the budget might not be there because I think Jaden Schwartz has a really big year this year. Okay. I got two more here. And the second one is from Sarah. Sarah, we promise you, we're not going to forget about you, but <laughs> this is from Matt Johnson at Matt Johnson, 28. Does it seem the Blues are trying to change from a dump-and-chase team to a, quote, dance-across-the-blue-line, unquote, team? Feels like they're getting away from the game that made them successful. Reed, what do you think? Uh, I, don't, I, I didn't see that last night. Um, is there moments when I'd like to see them play a little bit of a simpler game? Yeah, maybe, but I don't think, it's, I don't think that there's any um, – I think they do a really good job of getting the puck in deep when they have to. Um, and battling and getting it in there and, and, you know, the soft chips where you're getting strong side support uh, from either your center iceman or your offside winger. You know, those are the things that the Blues do very well, and they try and always keep the puck moving forward and try not to get in the side-to-side game. And I think that sometimes that side-to-side game can be looked at as a little bit of dipsy-doodling. Um, but, it, again, it's just it's, it's not driving it forward. It's not having support and being able to chip and go. And, and I think they did a pretty good job over that over the last few games. And I really felt at the game I was at last night that they did a good job with it. Obviously, they didn't in the first 10 minutes of the game. But I think that they, they really turned it around. And 
and really had good puck possession and uh and did and did a good job so i don't i don't think that it's it's a problem i wouldn't say that they're dipsy doodling or dancing or whatever whatever the comment was i think they do a pretty good job of keeping it simple i think that uh, ruby talked about this a couple weeks ago when the question was first asked to him and i liked his answer lou you probably remember this he said you know yeah we're playing more off the rush this year but there's no reason why you can't have elements of both there's no reason why one can't feed into the other and what i see is a team that's got uh, much more speed than it has in years past so obviously you're going to play off the rush more because your game is going to fit the kind of players that you have what I saw from the Blues is it goes along with what Losey said too is when they need to get that that soft chip and chase in, they're getting the puck in. But what's most important to me is zone entries. How many zone entries are you getting? Are you getting quality zone entries? Where are these zone entries happening? And for me, once you get that zone entry, then puck possession becomes becomes you know the second part of that equation, right? So you get the puck across the blue line, then it's about holding on to it because we know that a Craig Berube system is based upon puck possession in the offensive zone, wearing teams down. We saw it on, on multiple goals last night. Wear these teams down in their own end, and then a guy pops loose, usually a defenseman from the point, uh, breaks free from a winger, and he's wide open in the slot, and he usually buries one. Uh, that comes from blues, the Blues playing strong defensively, closing gaps down, holding red lines, holding blue lines, and, and pushing teams to the outside to where they get so sick of playing on the outside that they start trying to push the puck towards the middle of the ice. And then when they do that, it's a field day for the Blues because the big, uh, the Blues mobile uh, defensemen can eat those guys up and start to play quick going the other way. So for me, yes, they're playing off the rush a lot more, but that's just because they're playing to their personnel a little bit more. For me, what's impressive is even when they play off the rush, it's all about keeping possession in that offensive zone once the puck's across the blue line. So yes, I agree. There's a little bit of both there, but I think you can have both, and I think you can be successful having those two styles play off of each other. I think a lot of that has to do with... Uh having Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas in the lineup on a regular basis. I think that's where a lot of this opinion is coming from. And that's where you got to love a player like Braden Shen. And here we go again, singing Braden Shen's praises. But this is a guy that can play off the rush. And this is a guy that can play dump and chase, cycle pucks, play physical. And that's why you got to love him because he can, he can do either or. But I think a lot of this opinion is just off the fact of how Cairo and Thomas play. So that's that that's where my uh, my opinion on that is. But like you like you guys have both touched on, I think we see both of them here. And I want to throw it out. Our friend of the show, Sarah, she is wanting us to sing the praises of Braden Shen. We've been doing that throughout <laughs> here. And her comment is a request more than a question. You'll probably already do it. But for someone who doesn't expect anyone to sing his praises, Braden Shen should be sung about more often how much more can we sing his praises guys we can't we can't we all uh we're big fans of what that guy's doing and i think even on the broadcast and the national media you watch nhl network he's getting his ink he's getting his airtime uh kudos to Braden shed i hope he keeps it going before we get out of here Losey, you got a, a new friend of the program talking about friends of the program and it's uh our good buddy bob brocklin over at bob brocklin gmc yeah <clears throat> I uh, started working with Bob here over the last uh, Bobby over the last couple of weeks, and going to partner up with them. And um, he's just such a good dude. Um, you know, we all talk about local small businesses. You know, they're a smaller dealership, uh, comparatively speaking. They're over in Columbia, Illinois, right across the street from one of my favorite places to have lunch. Top Shooters. Oh yeah, it's a great spot. Cam does his radio share there on Friday. So. Um, 
I'm driving a 2015 GMC Sierra Denali. It's white, all leather interior. This thing is so pimped out. It's only about 35,000 miles on it. And uh, the sticker tag on it's 40,000 bucks. So um, give me a give me a message somehow and I'll go for a test drive in the bad boy. I just want to see if we can sell this thing. I've never sold the truck before, but I'm looking to try and do it now. So um, just, uh, just a good guy. Uh, their service department second to none. Um, their showroom's gorgeous. They've got a ton of great vehicles out there. So if you're looking for a, a great vehicle, um, they have just about everything from cars to SUVs to trucks. Uh, get over to Columbia, Illinois, and uh, tell uh, tell the boys and girls at Bob Rockland that Reed Lowe sent you. Lozy, you're driving my exact truck, only mine silver with black leather interior. So it's that's a beautiful nice, truck. Man. It's a beautiful. They truck. got a meaty front end, like it's like <laughs> like. Him, the tool man Taylor. You almost need you have a backup cam, but with that truck, you almost need a front cam because it's that beefy in the front. <laughs> it's that beefy in the front. I'm like, I'm too short. I gotta like stand up in my chair to see over the top of the front. Hey, uh, uh, can do you guys sell uh do you guys sell booster seats so Dave can have a chair to sit on, or do we need to get some of those old Sears <laughs> magazines? You, or you. what should we do to help Dave see over Number the one, I'm Italian. Number two, my dad is five eight. Number three, my mom's five four. So you can call me short all you want to, but you have no idea how happy I am to be five. 10. My I dad's five really eleven. My mom's five six. I'm six four. What happened to me? You're even more lucky than I am. Go ahead. Say Hashtag it. blessed. I dare you to say it. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> or as I was thinking, you're the mailman's kid. Uh, tell us about dry fly before we get out of here. Well, we're gonna. We talked a little bit about dry fly. I didn't have a whole lot of locations last week. So uh, at Dogwood, the crazy deals uh, in Cybergs, and they're pouring it. Uh, which is nice to have nice. on premise, uh, both in Chesterfield and Arnold. You can always get it at the prior tucks, but I'm telling you right now, for $38, the Bourbon 101 and the Dry Fly whiskey are. I, I, I and I don't I don't even drink whiskey, and everybody I talk to says this stuff's as good as it gets. So um, get out there and get through that. But also, Dry Fly has some RTDs too: the Huckleberry Lemonade, the Spicy Lemonade. The Moscow Mule, the Gin and Tonic, and then let's not forget about the Spicy Bloody Mary. And I'll tell you what, man, it's uh, uh, it's a really, really, really good products, and we're selling a ton of them, and people are loving them. You can get them at all those same places. Um, and then one last one that you guys can't forget because I drink it in my coffee all the time, Kringle Cream. It's at all the schnooks. It's pretty much everywhere out there, and we're actually selling a ton of it. And uh, it is so good. It makes Bailey's like nothing bailey's doesn't you can't even hold a candle to this stuff it's all natural cream so you got to refrigerate it after you open it but i'm telling you what with coffee and milkshakes um we've got uh some of our on-premise uh, on customers that are putting it in pancakes pancake syrup for adult pancakes you can make whipped cream out of it ladies and gentlemen get the get some kringle cream in you you're gonna love it <laughs> Get some Kringle cream in you. You're going to love it. That was just said on this program. <laughs> that was said. That happened, folks. Uh, on Get that Kringle cream instead of Krispy Kreme, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. how we'll save it. Good job, Lou. Good job. You're a broadcaster. Bless you. Uh, before we get out of here, and on that note, because what better segue uh, to NHL.com than get some cream in you, you'll love it. Uh, but Lou, tell us what you oh got boy. coming up on NHL.com this week. I can't even concentrate anymore. I'm done. We might as well end the show now. I drive it off the rails every show. I have no idea now, but yeah, we already touched on them. I'm writing about Doug Armstrong and his accolades, and obviously we've got three big games leading up to to close out a homestand and uh, take us right into uh, the Super Bowl. Hey, do we got to make Super Bowl predictions here? Because we're That's not going to be back, right? Yes, yeah, we're going to make those. We should. Why don't we just go with it now? 
I'm going Homer. I, I, you know what? As much as I'd love to see Tom Brady win, and there's so many Tom Brady haters, especially in St. Louis. Um, but I didn't graduate high school till 2017, so I can't really talk about where I went to high school, guys. Sorry. Um, but I will say I would love to see a guy with seven rings. It puts him in the elite class of where he belongs, as far as I'm concerned, for a guy to go to the Super Bowl that many times and to win that many times and to, to do what he's done and to still be doing it at the age that he's at is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but, man, I'm I, I, ever since the Rams left – I adopted the KC Chiefs before Patty Mahomes got there. Thank you very much. And I'm just such a fan of those guys. Tyreek Hill, the whole group of them, the defense is playing well. Um, let's go Chiefs. Lou, who you got? <laughs> I hate the guy. I always have because I was, uh, I've been a Pittsburgh Steeler fan growing up. And uh, this goes back to the steel curtain days, obviously, and the, Bradshaw and Franco and Swan and Stallworth and God, I can just go on and on and on and on about them. But um, they broke my, he broke my heart a number of times with the Patriots. And I, I hate the Patriots right up there with the Cowboys. I'm sorry. If you guys are Dallas Cowboys fans, I don't care. I can't stand them. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going with Brady, man. There's something about it. There's something about them. And uh, every, everything's pointing to the chiefs repeating here, but uh First home team to uh, play in a Super Bowl, hosting a Super Bowl, and I don't know. It just seems like I mean he went in, he went and won at Lambeau. He went in, and uh, I know Washington, not much to brag about, but going on the road to win a couple of games, and then uh, he went in and knocked out Drew Brees too. So he's done it three times already now, and now he gets to go home. So I don't know. He went to Tampa Bay for a reason. Uh, they're one win away from doing it, but uh, I'm, I'm picking the upset. I'm going Bucks. So I'll just put it this way, and it'll be real easy to figure out. I take TB12 vitamins, and I'm a diehard Raiders fan. So you can guess that I'm not rooting for the oh. Chiefs, and it's just not going to happen ever. So for me, uh, I'm already a TB12 guy, and I love Raiders. Uh, I love the Raiders. So for me, it's it's TB12. Even though I do dislike the Bucks, something fierce. Going back to those '99. Uh, Rams playing against those Bucks teams. I, I just never got over disliking those guys. But they got Brady and uh, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. I just can't uh, do it. I don't know why you're so nice about the Bucks. They beat your Raiders I know. many years ago in a Super Bowl. I know. But more it was more John Gruden beat the Raiders than the Bucks. But that is why I hate the Bucks because, you know, the Rams thing and then the Raiders thing. And, yeah, I trust me, I'm there. But I'm taking Tom Brady this Sunday. That'll do it for us. we got to get out of here. We promised that was going to be a short segment. We're at the 35 Rap, we're mark. screwed. You know that now because Reed's on an island by himself, so he's going to be laughing at us next week when Mahomes lights him up for 400 yards and about four four touches. And, uh, yeah, we'll be second screwed, MVP right? award. Hey, I, you know what? Mahomes, I, I, I root for great athletes. I don't have to root for the Chiefs, but I can root for Mahomes to be great, and that would be uh, that'd be cool to yeah, see. He's an too, amazing so. specimen of a quarterback. I'll tell you what, boy, that sure guy is playing the game. Sure is. No hey, doubt. that'll do it for us. As Losey said, uh, get some Kringle cream in you, and you'll be happy. That'll do it for us, St. Louis. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.